0: Sound Words, Christian Magazine. Volumes 11-20. Republished by Irving Risch. Host of down-to-earth but heavenly-minded podcast. Practical Reflections from the Life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 appears as the rising of the sun after the darkness. God declares himself to be the Almighty God, who works all in his own Almighty power. The incidents mentioned in the previous chapter tell their own sad tale of how greatly the man of faith was at. Variance with the mind of God respecting the manner in which all that God had promised was to be accomplished. Abram's movements were unmistakable indications of how grievous was his departure from the line on which God would bring in the seed of promise. He had to learn that all connected with the flesh must be set aside. God now declares himself as El Shaddai, the God of power, the all sufficient one, and the effect of this fresh revelation is immediate and significant. Abram fell on his face. He did not fall on his face when God appeared to him in Genesis chapter 15, he stood, conscious of being in the light with Jehovah, without a shade of reserve. But now prostrate at his feet, in silence and amazement, he finds that the God with whom he has to do is the unchanging one, his love is the same, whether in rebuke or comfort. In this lowly place we see the lofty pretensions of man brought low, the resources of nature exposed in all their impotency, the energies of the flesh subdued and the will of man broken. Truly the light is good and pleasant to our eyes as faith apprehends the far-reaching implications of this divine title, which assures that all counseled by God for his pleasure will be carried through triumphantly. Hitherto Abram had known God as a mighty God, but now he was to walk in dependence before him as the Almighty. How greatly does the idea of power in ourselves limit the apprehension of the fact that all power belongs unto God? The Great Lesson of this chapter is that God can and must do everything if there is to be a true seed to inherit his promises. The gracious work must all be thine, begun and ended in thy power. It is this vain expectation of something from nature, the flesh or law, which has resulted in great enfeeblement amongst the saints of God. What a wonderful day has dawned upon our souls when we can truly say, all that we are we owe to thee, thou God of grace alone. In Genesis chapter 24. Abraham says, the God before whom I have walked, but Jacob can only say, the God before whom my fathers walked, and the God who fed me. Abraham and Isaac walked before God. But Jacob could only speak of God's care for him being too busy scheming to accomplish the divine end in his own way. He had to learn, after God's disciplinary ways with him, because of his tortuous ways, that the whole work must be of God. We might paraphrase this sublime declaration Just walk before me in the sense that my eye is constantly upon you for blessing, and in the sense of what my power can and will do. And all will be well. There can be little doubt that if we walked in the practical enjoyment of these things, the conditions of perfection would be present, and we would be content that the flesh, and all expectation from it, should be cut off. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and boast in Christ Jesus, and do not trust in flesh. You will have noticed that at least ten times God says, in this chapter, I will, strangely contrasting with that, thou shalt, repeated in the law. It is extremely beautiful to note how God engages himself to work out all he has set his heart upon. He says, I will set my covenant between me and thee, thus establishing a definite bond between himself and Abram in view of accomplishing his purpose. Consequent upon the establishment of this covenant, God gives him a new name, exercising his divine prerogative in this ennoblement of Abram. The name Abram signifies great, or high, father, setting forth what he was personally as head of the family of faith, but Abraham directs our attention to the greatness of the family of which he is the head. For it means, father of a multitude, not only of individuals, but of nations. In giving this name God is indicating the vast results of the principle of faith and of promise. There is nothing so fruitful as the faith principle, it is, exceedingly fruitful, being the only principle that brings forth anything for God, because it counts on his power alone. We now come to a most interesting part of this chapter, Abraham and all the males of his house are to be circumcised, which is a figure of the setting aside of the flesh. If God pledges himself to bless his people and to be everything to them, he will not tolerate any confidence in the flesh on their part. In Romans chapter 2 verse 28 we are told, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither that circumcision which is outward in flesh. This scripture conveys to our minds beyond any doubt that true circumcision is an inward thing, a divine work, of the heart, and in spirit. In Romans chapter 4 verse 11 we learn that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as seal of the righteousness of faith which he had being in uncircumcision. The Spirit of God affirms in a most convincing way that the principle of Abraham's justification is faith, not works. How consistent and effective is the testimony of Scripture that no flesh shall glory in God's presence. It is very remarkable to find this very principle in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 and 24, let not the wise glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty glory in his might. Let not the rich glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am Jehovah, who exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. See also 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 and 31. It is blessed to see therefore that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. But when was it reckoned to him? In circumcision or uncircumcision? The answer sweeps aside every vestige of fleshly presumption by which the religious Jew sought to make his position unassailable. But his own father Abraham was uncircumcised when he possessed the faith by which he was justified. Abraham therefore appears as the father of circumcision, the one in whom began that separation to God implied in it, to those who walked in the steps of that faith which he had while yet uncircumcised to the child of God in this dispensation of grace the spirit as the seal of the righteousness of faith comes in as divine power which alone is effectual for the practical setting aside of the flesh and keeping it in the place of death god intends that we should realize that adequate power has been made available by the presence of the spirit so that we may refuse the flesh and all its workings and thus be manifested as his people as another has said as having the spirit our capability is equal to our responsibility Let us turn now to Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Circumcision stands here in relation to Christ. When we see that the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ, and that we are filled full in him, surely we would gladly relinquish anything that would contribute in any way to the distinction of the flesh. And like the beloved apostle, count all things to be loss on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. In the presence of such a wealth of divine realities is it conceivable that we should require or desire anything outside of Christ. When we enter into the practical enjoyment of these surpassingly excellent things, we are prepared to accept what was done when he died, circumcision, the cutting off of the flesh absolutely in his death. Then in Philippians chapter 3, to which we have already referred, we find the true meaning of circumcision. If any man could have trusted in flesh, Paul could, but he gladly refused all in which man could glory, for, forgetting the things that were behind. He pressed on towards the mark for the prize of the calling on high of God in Christ Jesus. It is very helpful to see both in Genesis 17 and Philippians chapter 3 how circumcision comes in in connection with the inheritance. Paul had his eye on the inheritance in a risen and glorified Christ, which enabled him to accept the cutting off of every hope and glory belonging to man in the flesh. In the end of this chapter we see the solemn end of those who refused the truth of circumcision in relation to the cross, verses 18, and 19. Sarai's name too is changed to Sarah, meaning, princess. She is a figure of Israel as the vessel of promise, dead, according to the flesh. By God's power she becomes the princess to give birth to the seed of promise. Abraham intercedes for Ishmael, but it is God's will to give Isaac the first place. Isaac means laughter, how faith rejoices in discerning the wondrous results of God acting entirely from himself and for his glory, in bringing in the true Isaac in resurrection power, the one in whom the covenant would be established, and the inheritance secured but Ishmael, type of stubborn and rebellious Israel is remembered in goodness by their covenant-keeping God. Yet how sad to see that, while they claimed the privilege of the covenant, they never realized what was involved in the sign of the covenant, they always had confidence in the flesh. God had to tell them that they were uncircumcised in heart and ears.